2 Kings chapter 6, 24. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his army, went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, The woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him, but she has hidden her son. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes as he was passing by on the wall. And people looked and underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Then he said, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. But Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door. Hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. Then the king said, Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait? For the Lord any longer. Second Kings chapter 7 verse 1. Then Elisha said hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Tomorrow this time. A seah of flying flour will be sold for a shekel. And two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned. Answered the man of God and said. Look if the Lord would make windows in heaven. Could this thing be? And he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. This morning, I want to take my text from 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. And I want to read that verse from the New Living Translation. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver, and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a record of the miracles that God worked through one of the most powerful individuals in all the Old Testament. This prophet was the successor of Elijah. He is known as the prophet of the double portion. He began his ministry in 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 6 when he was anointed by Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 3 verse 11 he's called the prophet who poured water on the hands of Elijah. He had the privilege of being present when his mentor, his spiritual father, Elijah was taken into heaven in a chariot of fire by a supernatural whirlwind. He had followed Elijah from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and beyond the Jordan. Elijah asked him, what shall I do for you before I am taken up? 
If you remember the story, as he went to those different places, Gilgal, he went to Bethel, he went to Jericho, and then they took the mantle and, and they smote the waters, the King James Version says. You know, I'm, they smote the waters. And, and the Bible said that the way path opened in the Jordan and they walked across the Jordan over beyond the Jordan. At every point, he would turn to Elisha and he would say to him, stay here, stay here. But Elijah said, oh no, I'm going all the way. So he says, you've asked for a hard thing. But if you see me when I'm taken up, he said, it'll be so to you. And if you study the, the life of Elijah and Elisha, Elisha worked exactly double the miracles of Elijah in his ministry. When you study the miracles, you find out that he had a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, there's a record of the miracle of the floating axe head. You remember they were getting ready to make room. Things were growing, and they were getting ready to make room, and they were felling some trees and cutting down some trees. And when they were doing that, the axe head flew off the handle and down over into the river. And he said, I borrowed this. I don't have the money to replace it. So Elijah spoke. And that axe head floated back and they were able to put it back on and we have the miracle of the floating axe head. Not only that, but Elisha would hear what was happening with the king of Syria and he would tell the king of Israel and the king of Israel would set an ambush and every time the king of Syria tried to attack, the Lord would reveal his plans. So he sent a whole army down to get Elisha. And if you remember the story, the Bible said the servant went out and he said, we're surrounded. And the old prophet sitting at the table eating his breakfast. He never got up. He said, they're more with us than they are against us. Hallelujah. You may feel like at times you're outnumbered. You may feel like at times you're outgunned. You might feel like at times we're with the enemies. I got more finances and got more going. But I've come to tell you, they're more that are with us than against us. Hallelujah. And the Bible said Elisha prayed and opened the servant's eyes. And the servant began to see all of the chariots and the horses and the warrior angels that God has sent. And Elijah spoke the word. Elisha spoke the word. And he struck blindness on that army. And he took that army to the king of Israel. Miracles that are recorded there in chapter 6. Then in chapter 6, verse 24 through 720, we learn of the siege of Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. It's interesting to note that the ancient enemies of Israel are the same enemies the nation faces today. The name Ben means son of. Hadad means noise or clamor. The enemy makes noise. He lies. He accuses. He creates storms and causes confusion. You see, and there's an enemy that is causing a famine. But I want to tell you, we have a powerful promise from God when the enemy comes with his noise, when the enemy comes with the storms, when the enemy comes to try to cause trouble in our lives, we have promises. Isaiah 59, 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. In Deuteronomy 28, 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. I've come by to tell you that you have power over the works of the enemy and all you have to do is exercise your God-given authority that God gave you and imparted to you at salvation. When you read this story, there's several interesting characters. A wicked king, two women who are so desperate, they eat the flesh of one of the woman's son. 
a wicked messenger. And there are four lepers that are living outside the city. This morning, I, I want to share just three things in this powerful story of deliverance. And I just want to say to you about this time tomorrow. It may look hopeless. It may look bleak. You may be under attack. You might be in, a, in the midst of a storm. You might have difficulty going on in your family. You might have the enemy coming against you. But I've come by to tell you, by this time tomorrow, things are going to change. I've come by to tell you that what a difference a day can make. Today can be cloudy and dark and gloomy. Today can be stormy. But tomorrow the sun's going to come up. Hallelujah. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. About this time tomorrow, turn to your neighbor and say it, about this time tomorrow. First of all, there's a worried king with a devastating problem. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, after it happened, it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. Samaria was the capital city of the ten northern tribes of Israel. The ten northern tribes had separated from Judah and Benjamin in the south during the reign of Rehoboam. Solomon has allowed his wives. He had allowed his wives and concubines to turn his heart away from God and toward the worship of idols. And in 1 King 11, we learn that Solomon built idolatrous shrines and altars in the very city where he had earlier constructed the beautiful temple of Jehovah God. And because of that, there was a split in the kingdom. Samaria was located near Mount Ebal in the mountainous area. Mount Ebal was where Israel would recite the curses of the law, while Mount Gerizim was where they recited the blessing. Samaria was built by Omri. Omri was the king of the ten northern tribes of Israel. 1 Kings 16.25 says, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. But he was followed by his son Ahab. Ahab married the wicked Jezebel. And together they established the worship of Baal as the state religion. They killed the prophets and they brought on a devastating drought as a result of their sins. And it was during their reign that God raised up Elijah. You remember it was at Mount Carmel that Elijah called fire down out of heaven. Hallelujah. And the fire came and it started revival. And after that, he anointed Elisha to be his successor. See, Elijah got the revival started, but Elisha came along to get it implemented and to get it throughout the ten northern tribes. But you see, one of Ahab's sons is still reigning on the throne. Their youngest son, Jehoram, was ruling on the throne of his father Ahab. And he faced a serious dilemma. Ben-Hadad and his powerful army surrounded the city on every side. 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 25 gives a description of what's happening inside the city. As a result of this great famine in the city, a siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. I want you to see how desperate things had become in that city. They were in serious trouble, runaway inflation. There was an extreme shortage of food. And the food they did have was ceremonially unclean. There was an enemy at the gate and a famine in the city. The famine is a result of the enemy cutting off the supply. We have an enemy at our gate. He seeks our destruction and he seeks to cut off your supply. He wants to stop your worship. He wants to hinder your prayers. He wants to keep you out of God's word. If he can cut off your supply, he'll cause a famine in your house. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 26, the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, and a woman cried out to him saying, Help me, help my lord, O king. 
And he said, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine pest? Then the king said to her, what is troubling you? This woman said, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But he, she has hidden her son. This famine had become so severe that the people had resulted to cannibalism. They're biting and devouring one another, eating one another's children. We not only have an enemy at the gate, but we also have a famine in the land today. It's not a famine of bread, but it's a famine of hearing the true word of the Lord. Amos 8, 11 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. This famine is a famine of revelation. This famine is a famine of hearing prophetic direction. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. When the church ceases to hear the voice of God, we'll turn on one another. We'll pay exorbitant prices for food that's unclean and unsatisfied. Listen, we'll travel far and wide just to try to hear a word from the Lord. We'll bite and devour one another. The Bible talks about that in Galatians 5.15. Carnal leadership brings on a famine. This king was an idolater. He was a worshiper of Baal who was considered to be the god of fertility. And you'll note that the god of fertility could not rescue the city. The God who provided their food and substance as they believed was powerless. This king had a serious problem. An enemy at the gates and a famine in the city. And the only human answer was to surrender the city to the enemy. Many today have been so overwhelmed by the power of famine that they've considered just surrendering to the enemy. I'm just going to give up on that promise God made to me. I'm just going to give up on believing God for what I feel like he said to me. I'm just going to just kind of give up and back off. And I'm just going to surrender because the fight's been too hard. The battle's been too difficult. There's a famine. I'm, I'm walking through hard places. I'm being bitten and devoured by others. But we must not despair because there's a word from God. <laughs> by this time tomorrow. See, we've been in a long time of sustained attack. But we must not despair because God has an answer for our current dilemma. God has a word for your dilemma today. That brings me to my second point. We have a worried king, but then we have a powerful prophet that has a word from God. In verse 31 of chapter 6, God do so to me and more also. This is the words of the king. If the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. The king issues a death warrant for the prophet Elisha. Now notice they did the same thing to his mentor, the one who he succeeded, Elijah. He's the cause of the famine. He's the problem. So they searched high and low. They tried to find him because there was a death warrant on him. But God hid him. He first hid him by a brook. Then he sent him to a widow's house. But in the right time, he said, you go and you find Ahab and you challenge him on Mount Carmel. And you tell him to bring the prophets of Baal and Asherah and let there be a showdown. And I'm going to tell you, they brought those prophets of Baal and Asherah up on that mountain. They built an altar and they called on the God of weather, the God of fertility, the God who was supposed to provide for them. They called on him for hours and they cut themselves. They throwed themselves up on the altar. They did all all kinds of religious things but their God could not answer but then Elijah stood up there he prayed a simple prayer and the fire of God fell 
What we need today is we need the fire of God to fall on an altar today. Hallelujah. And consume that altar. And you and I are the altar that he falls on. Death warrant. Idolatry and evil always bring a famine. It produces desolation and it's always blamed on God. We have something hard happen to us. Why did God let this happen to me? Well, number one, some things are life. Some things happen because we live in a fallen world. You say, yeah, but it wasn't just. It wasn't fair. If you live in this life long enough, you're going to have some things happen to you that are not fair. You're going to walk through some injustices. But here's the thing. I don't turn my back on God. I don't run from the Lord. I run to the Lord. I need him more then than I needed him before. Come on, somebody. I remember some years ago, we were having a revival service. God was moving in the church we were pastoring. And these guys started bringing different people in, and they brought this man in one night. I never met somebody so angry and bitter in my life. He was upset. He was mad at God. He was mad at everybody. He was mad at himself. And I talked to him a little bit, and the Lord gave me a word of knowledge. I've never heard anything like this. I've never done it since then. I looked at him, and I said, you need to forgive God. You feel like God has wronged you, and God has wounded you, and you need to release that by forgiving him, and release that anger and that bitterness toward him, and let the Lord touch you today. God brought you here because he's got a healing for you. I want to tell you something. He took my advice. I don't even know if that's theologically sound or not. But I want to tell you something. I watched that bitterness and anger and clamor lift off of him. And he was out in front of the church talking to everybody. Big smile on his face. He probably hadn't smiled so long it might have broken his face to smile. God healed him of that. See, it's how you respond. You're going to have hardships. But how you respond to them determines whether you're healed or not. I want to tell you something. You're going to have difficulties in this life. And here the king says, I'm going to take the head off. Like that's going to solve the problem. We're going to kill the prophet. May not solve the problem, but I'll feel better. See, what he was doing is he was lashing out at the one who had the answer because he is serving a God who's impotent. He's serving a God who has no power. He's serving a God who can't deliver. I've come by to tell you I'm so thankful that we're a spirit-filled, full gospel people that know the power of God. And if there's anything we've got to get back to in this season, we've got to get back to spirit-led, spirit-anointed, spirit-empowered service to the Lord. And when he starts towards the house, he sends his servant. Elisha said, don't let him in. <laughs> He's come with my death warrant. But I want you to notice that Elisha and the elders are sitting around a table. Now that, that strikes me because number one, they're not panicked. Everybody else is panicked. But the people of God are not panicked. For I've not given you a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. And Elijah said, don't let him in. But I hear the footsteps of the murderer coming behind him. And the king comes in. And he said, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? You know, pastor, I've been waiting a long time. He said, why should I wait for the Lord? What he was saying is the Lord has failed us. The Lord is powerless to come to our rescue. We're going to have to surrender. I'm probably going to be killed. My servants are going to be killed. We're going to have to surrender and pay tribute to an enemy that outnumbers us. But I've come by to tell you, just when it looks like it's over, it's not over until God says it's over. And then a prophet steps in and says, I hear the word of the Lord. He said, by this time tomorrow, 
You might have an enemy at the gate and a famine in the land. But I've come by to tell you there is a word from God saying by this time tomorrow, God is going to work this thing out. By this time tomorrow, your circumstances are about to change. By this time tomorrow, God's going to move on your behalf. By this time tomorrow, God's going to come to your rescue. Oh, you say, I I believe that. If you'll embrace that and get a hold of that this morning, I believe by this time tomorrow, God's going to move on your behalf. Why should we wait? Let me read it from the New Living Translation, 2 Kings 7, 1. He said, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria. Now I want you to note, they're eating donkey's heads and dove dung. You got to be pretty desperate. I don't know what kind of plate that looks like when you cook a donkey's head. A donkey's an ugly animal. I mean, they're eating donkey's heads. Get this picture. And dove dung. I don't have to explain to you what that is. One translation I said, read said it could have possibly been some kind of vegetable. I've never heard of a vegetable. <laughs> what are you growing in your garden? Dove's dung. <laughs> what they serving at the Amish kitchen? Donkey's heads and dove's dung. And it's ten times the price. They're eating one another. They're biting and devouring one another. And the food they had was unclean. See, when there's a famine in the land, we'll chase after stuff that's not scriptural, stuff that's not doctrinal, stuff that's not pure, trying to hear a word from God because there's a vacuum down on the inside of us that says we need to hear the pure, true, unadulterated word of the living God and we'll chase after that in a famine. But I've come by to tell you there might be a famine in the land, not of bread, not of water, but there's a famine in the land of hearing the true prophetic word of the living God. But by this time tomorrow, things are about to change. Let me wrap this thing up. There's a worried king. There's a powerful prophet with a word from God. But then God's promise third is fulfilled by four unlikely individuals. By this time tomorrow, in the market of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver. And 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. And the king's servant, when he heard the word of the Lord, listen to how he responded. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 2, he said, If the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. There's an enemy at the gate, there's a famine in the land, and the prophet says, By this time tomorrow. You say, Pastor, this is a good Bible study. This is a good story to read in the Bible. But my circumstances are long standing. I have problems so severe that there's no human answer. I only have one answer for that today. By this time tomorrow. And God moved in silence. He didn't consult the king. He didn't consult his military commanders. He didn't call for for a vote from parliament. He found four lepers. Lepers had to put their hands over their lips and cry unclean, unclean. They had to live outside the city. These four lepers are outside the city. They're dying because they depended on the generosity of the people in the city to feed them. There's a Syrian army that surrounded the city. There's four lepers and there's a city. And they said, why don't we just go down? We're going to die anyway. And if, even if the Syrians kill us, we'll just go down to their camp. At least maybe they'll give us something to eat before they kill us. 
And what they didn't know is in the night, God sent an angelic army. And he opened the Syrians' ears to hear the marching of this angelic army. Glory to God. And they thought the king of Israel has summoned help. And help has come. Their armies have come. And such a fear struck them that they jumped up and fled. They left their silver. They left their gold. They left their clothes. They left their food. And these four lepers, four outcasts of society, four people that we would think God wouldn't use. See, your miracle's going to come, but it's going to come from an unlikely source. Hey, you're looking for this God to do it the same way he did it yesterday. Break the template. God's not the God of the past. He's the God of the now. Hallelujah. These four lepers <laughs> go stumbling into that camp. And they eat all they can eat. And they're crying on clothes. And I think one of them said, we better go tell the city. And listen, in one moment, <laughs> God delivered the children of Israel. And word got to the city. And the king sent the servant to be the gatekeeper. And as this old doubting, unbelieving servant opened that gate, the people came and they trampled over him. And he died, just as if the prophet said, it's time for God to kill doubt and unbelief in our lives. It's time for us to allow the Lord to work that out of us. We got to bring our speech into alignment with God's word. We got to bring our speech into alignment with faith. We got to bring our speech into alignment and start speaking the things that God is speaking. Come on, somebody. Stop claiming everything the devil brings to your door. I'm going to fulfill my destiny. We still pray and believe. You can't let your circumstances define your faith. You let God's word define your faith. And faith has to be activated by speaking it. Come on. We got to start declaring it. We got to start believing it. The Lord spoke to me the other day and he said, you stop talking about things coming and you start declaring that they're already here. I've been saying, yes, this is coming. Yes, this is coming. And the Lord said, no, you stop saying it's coming and you start declaring that it's here right now. You start walking in it. See, you got to learn to speak the language of the next level before you get there. God's got to do it inside you before you see it with your eyes. The prophet said, by this time tomorrow. Hey, now I want you to notice this is a powerful army. Thousands of soldiers surrounding this city. They're besieged. I'm telling you, they're eating one another. They're devastating problems in this city. This is not just a little neat Bible story that we tell our children. This was an attack of the enemy to destroy the very people of God. But God said, by this time tomorrow, in my mercy and in my grace, I'm going to intervene. And when God intervened, their diet changed. By this time tomorrow. Four lepers, it's time to take the limits off of God. You may be besieged. Maybe you've been in uncommon warfare over the last year. Uncommon warfare on every side. Just seems like you're attacked, malign, your family, your health, your finances, whatever it could be. Well, what is the word for us? By this time tomorrow. By this time tomorrow, God's going to break into your circumstances. We have an enemy at the gate, a famine in the land. But I hear a sound from heaven. 